Hey, this is Pastor Jay Lee, and you're listening to the Daily Sabbath Podcast. Hey guys, Pastor Jay here, and welcome to the Daily Sabbath Podcast. And man, I am super excited about our episode today. Today is volume two of A Christian and an Atheist. I know that a lot of you guys were really interested in the first interview that I did here with my friend Calvin Smith. And so I'm excited that I can share the second interview with you guys. Now, before we get to today's episode, just wanted to share a couple of things. First, I just wanted to apologize because I know that it's been a few weeks since I've shared any new devotionals. And so I just wanted to let you guys know that, again, I'm really sorry. My family and I, we're, we're looking to move in a few months. And maybe even possibly if the Lord does a miracle, maybe even look at buying a house. I'm a little scared to say that. But um, because of that, I've actually kind of shifted some of my priorities. And I've been focusing a lot of my extra time on my side hustle. I mean, this is probably more information than you really wanted to know about me and my life, but I, I do kind of have a side hustle selling golf clubs online. And so I've been focusing a lot of my time and energy, you know, and just trying to prepare ourselves as much as possible, just in case we do try to maybe buy a, a property. And so, you know, I just wanted to apologize and let you guys know why I haven't really been as active with the devotionals, but I do hope to start sharing devotionals on here again, but I just want to let you guys know why the publishing schedule might be a little bit more erratic these days. The second thing I wanted to say was just a thank you to one of our listeners who was just gracious enough to buy me some cups of coffee. And it's been a few weeks now, I apologize, but this person chose to remain anonymous. And so I can't thank you by name, but truly I am so thankful to you that you would support the podcast in this way. And, and so whoever you are, Coffee Angel, I give you thanks. All right. So with that housekeeping out of the way, here is A Christian and an Atheist, Volume 2. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, so today is volume two of our series of interviews we're calling A Christian and an Atheist, and my guest today on the podcast is Calvin Smith. He is the host of a podcast called Unquestionable with Calvin Smith, and basically he explores all kinds of different topics, uh, things that are mysterious, things that are controversial. Uh, so for instance, if you're into looking at ancient civilizations or ancient technology, uh, you'll find a lot of conversations on the podcast about that. But he also shares about religion and his uh, atheism as well. And so I want to welcome back to the podcast, uh, Calvin Smith. Thanks so much for making time to be on the podcast again. Absolutely. I, you know, as we said before, I love talking to you and I love talking about this. So, I mean, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. And actually, so our first interview that we did, I, I got a lot of really good response uh, on that conversation and just a lot of people reaching out and, and just saying that they enjoyed our dialogue. And they also enjoyed just kind of the the tone of our dialogue, that it was, you know, kind of a, a friendly conversation, but but still a meaningful conversation. And yeah, so, that's great. Uh, yeah. 
So uh, I'm glad that we could have you back on here. And so uh, if any of you guys have not listened to that first interview, I encourage you guys to go back and listen to that. Uh, On that first interview, you hear a little bit more about Calvin and just his story and where he's coming from if you want to learn more about that. But for today's interview, uh, we have a little bit different format. And so what we're going to do is uh, basically both Calvin and I have selected a question or a topic that we want to ask the other person. And so we're going to kind of split the interview into two halves. And in the first half, I'm going to ask Calvin a question and just kind of get his thoughts as uh, someone who is an atheist and just how he feels about some of those questions. And then in the second half of the interview, Calvin will sort of throw a question at me and kind of get my feedback on it based on my faith as a Christian. And so that's kind of the direction of the interview. Calvin, you ready to go? Whenever you're ready. (laughs) Okay. And so um, before we did this interview, I, I let Calvin know that I had been doing a series of episodes called Intro to God. And in that series, I shared three kind of classic arguments for the existence of God. And, you know, I I won't rehash all of the arguments from those episodes, but I, I really wanted to get some thoughts from you, Calvin, on a couple particular aspects, just because I've never really had a chance to actually talk to somebody who is an atheist about some of these thoughts. But um, in those episodes, I kind of made the argument that You know, if we believe that the universe is here, all of us are here just kind of as the result of a random, undirected process. So no no creator who has created us with any particular intention or particular purpose, that one thing that is maybe sort of a logical consequence of that is that maybe uh, it's hard to really say that there's any objective meaning or purpose to life. And I made a kind of a similar argument when it comes to morality, that, again, if if we really believe that we're here just as the result of a random and undirected process, so no creator, no lawgiver who sort of is the measure of what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong, that, you know, maybe one of the logical consequences of that is that uh, morality also kind of has to be subjective, that it's hard to really come to any objective sense of good and evil right and wrong. And so, you know, I just wanted to kind of get some of your thoughts on that. Like as someone who is an atheist, like what are your thoughts on, I know this is a very broad question, so we'll just kind of start here and try to maybe work our way into into the yeah. conversation. But, you know, I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on, you know, this idea of, you know, meaning and purpose in life or, you know, conversation about, you know, good and evil and morality. Yeah, for sure. So kind of, I'm a little little weary on the morality aspect, too, because I even sometimes kind of dangle on the fence of it. You know, is morality subjective? Is it an objective thing? Even I still stumble with this. And, you know, atheists in general tend to, you know, really struggle with morality and whether it's objective or subjective. I come at it from an angle of that I think morality is overall subjective, um, you know, you're you're raised in a society and you learn based off of your societal norms, you know, what is, quote, good or, quote, bad. You know, you may grow up in a society that murder, for example, is good. You know, I don't know if there's any cultures like that out there, but, um, you know, if there's one that teaches you that murder is bad, we know that causing harm to other people and, you know, animals is is overall wrong. My whole thing is that atheists want to cause as little harm as possible, you know, and 
prevent as much harm as possible. And mm-hmm. so as so I kind of come at it as that it's a subjective thing because it kind of depends on the culture that you're grown up in. But mm. overall, you want to cause the least amount of harm to people and to your surroundings. That's that's the overall good, I guess, because I think overall, most, if not all cultures can agree that harming people, harming things, harming the environment is bad. That's a pretty mm. objective thing that I think most people will agree with. Um, I see. So whether, you know, someone wants to agree that global warming and, you know, pollution is bad or not, pollution is bad. It is what it is because it's it's causing harm. So mm. it doesn't really matter whether you think it's right or wrong because it, it just is wrong. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is that in some sense, it sounds like you are comfortable with the idea that, yeah, maybe morality is subjective and it is kind of more of a, a matter of opinion and most of our moral beliefs really are just kind of a result of our culture and the environment that we were brought up in. So I, I hear that kind of one aspect coming from you, but it does seem like you do have some core principle of morality in that. Um, so it sounds like your guiding principle for your morality is like we want to do the least harm right. as we can to to people and the environment around us and anything that is causing harm uh, to other people or to ourselves or to the environment, that is what you would kind of deem as evil or bad. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. I see. Now, do you feel like that, even that principle itself, like, would you be comfortable with saying even that is somewhat subjective? Like, so let's say if some other guy comes around and he's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really down with this principle of like not causing harm to others. Like, I, I just feel like, Whatever I want to do, whether I'm causing harm to someone else or not, I should just be able to do what I want to do. Um, and there's nothing really that you could say <laughs> to basically make me believe or accept that, you know, your principle is more right than my principle. Like, are, are you are you OK accepting that maybe somebody else doesn't accept that principle? Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. You know, someone could definitely think that. I mean, a serial killer obviously thinks that murder is OK in some sense because they're doing it. You know, but kind of I look at it as a angle of majority rule. You know, majority mm-hmm. of society is going to rule that, you know, killing people is wrong. Um, harming the environment is wrong. You know, I, I don't want to get hurt. I look at it as, you know, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want anyone to hurt me. So why would I cause that harm onto someone else or allow someone to cause that harm onto someone else? Um, so it's mm-hmm. more so just having compassion for other people, you know, regardless of whether there's a God watching or not, you know, um, just have compassion for that person, uh, regardless yeah. of whether there's a God watching. Yeah. So sort of, sort of this golden rule, like do unto yeah. others as you would have them do unto you. Right. So at least it seems like then, I mean, I, I know that you don't speak for all people who are atheists, <laughs> yeah, but at least for you, you know, th- there's some alignment there at least with kind of that, you know, I mean, you know, I think a lot of Christians would also kind of agree with that principle and feel like maybe, you know, that's a, a biblical principle, right? Jesus yeah. says, you know, love yourself. And, you know, as, you... as I said before, too, you know, a lot of people, I still dangle on the fence of whether morality is subjective or objective. I mm-hmm. still am digging into that today. I'm still not 100% sure. I hear pretty good arguments from both sides, um, mm-hmm. you know, both, you know, atheist sides and, you know, atheist and theistic 
sides. You know, everyone has pretty good sound arguments behind it. So even I kind of dangle on the fence of whether I think morality is subjective or objective. As of now, I think it's subjective. But, you know, who's to say that can't change? Yeah, and I'm I'm glad to hear you say that, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, even though right now you're kind of in the camp that maybe it is subjective, which I think is, you know, it's, it takes integrity, I think, to say that, you know, that, yeah, I mean, at least what I believe right now is consistent with my worldview is yeah. that morality yeah, is, is pretty much subjective. But I also hear that there's sort of an openness there, which, you know, kind of goes back to our first interview, you know, talking about, you know, being really open to, you know, conversation and having an open mind. And yeah, and you have you know, to be you... open to new information, because as soon as you close yourself off to that new information, that's when you're no longer growing in yourself and in your uh, education. You know, I, I want to know as many true things and as few false things as possible. How am I going to do that if I close myself off to information? You know, mm-hmm. what if yeah. someone else has, you know, something to say that may change my mind? The only way I can know that is if I just listen. It doesn't mean I have to agree with it or follow it mm-hmm. or whatever, but I have to at least yeah. be willing to hear it. Yeah. So then would you say like, because, you know, I kind of brought up those two different aspects, right? There's sort of the morality aspect, and then there's also sort of the the purpose or, or meaning in life aspect. Would you mm-hmm. say that you have kind of a similar view um, on that front as well, where, you know, yeah, maybe in terms of like meaning or purpose to life, it it's subjective? I think for the most part, yeah, life is pretty much what you want to make it. You know, if you want your life to have meaning, it's going to have just as much meaning as you want your life to have. You know, I myself, I look at my life and I have an amazing wife and an amazing, you know, mother and, you know, family. And so I I value those relationships with people. And that is my purpose is to, you know, strengthen those relationships and, you know, not cut ties with anybody because, there is no second chances after this, in my opinion. You know, this is mm-hmm. the one life that we got. So if, you know, that person dies and you're holding grudges, that's it. There's no fixing that. That, you know, mm-hmm. that person died with that grudge on their shoulders and you have to live with that. Um, I'm all about, you know, your life is what you make it. So if you want to cut ties with someone, do that. But if you don't, then the time is now to correct that action. Um, so, yeah, your life has purpose based off of how however you make it. You know, if you don't want mm-hmm. your life to have purpose, if you want to spend your life rotting in jail or being a criminal, then that's, you know, what you choose to do. But mm-hmm. um Yeah. So like you you would be comfortable you you would be comfortable saying that yeah, I mean, every person can decide for themselves what the meaning or the purpose of their life is. There's yeah. it's really pretty subjective. So yeah, if if I decide that for me, my where I find purpose and meaning in life is just to, you know, go off and have as much pleasure as I want and, you know, gain as much money as I can. And doesn't really matter if I hurt people along the way. That's to me, that's the most meaningful thing that I can do to be as rich as I can, to have as much pleasure as I can before I, you know, kind of lie in the grave even though you might not agree with that and you certainly wouldn't want to live your life that way, you feel comfortable with accepting. I can't really say that that's any more objectively right or wrong than the way I live my life. Yeah. I mean, if you're living a life to where, you know, you think that your purpose is harming people, um, Hmm. that's, I mean, I can't 
disagree with that. If you believe that's what your purpose is, I mean, that's, you know, what you believe. Whether I can change that or not is another question. Um, but, you know, how you choose to live that life can, if it affects others, you know, belief informs action. I've said this many times before on my podcast and, you know, all over social media is that your beliefs inform your actions. So if you believe something, then that is going to inform what you do in your life, which can in turn affect other people's lives. You know, um, if someone believes that killing people is their purpose, they go out and kill somebody. Well, all in all, that doesn't affect me, but that affects that person. And that's, you know, overall not the best, um, that's not maximizing good. That's not maximizing happiness is killing a person and, you know, mm -hmm. you, you just getting off scot-free about it. That's not maximizing happiness. So yeah, it's, it's, so you, you still, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it still feels like then at least you have one sort of central core principle that it feels like maybe you've, I mean, you could tell me again if I'm wrong, but just the, just hearing you kind of describe it, it feels like you do have one core principle that you, it seems like maybe you hold like other people up to as well. Like this kind of this principle of, you know, not harming other people. Like, would you say that's true that, that at least that principle you feel like is, no, this is more of a universal principle. It's not just for me. It's not just whether or not you agree with it, but we could expect other people to behave in this manner as well. See, this is where I get on the track of where whether morality is kind of subjective or objective, mm. because I can kind of say, you know, yes, um, I think, you know, my core value, I guess you could say, is maximizing happiness and decreasing sadness, you know, all mm. in all. That's breaking it down. Um, subjectively, I think that that is the best way that you can live your life, in my personal opinion, is, you know, by maximizing happiness in your life and others and um, causing as least harm as possible. And I can also look at it as that should be a universal value that, you know, it should be, you know, that everyone should maximize happiness. But there's not a way for me to necessarily enforce that or control that and that's not necessarily how the universe works you know the overall the universe just doesn't care about you so the universe is going to do the universe so um you should put that on a t-shirt yeah, yeah. The universe <laughs> the universe is going to do the universe <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> so um yeah it's that's kind of when you start to get into that sketchy part because you know yeah. overall i believe that causing the least amount of harm should be universal. That doesn't mean that it is, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you feel that tension where it's like, okay, yeah, it feels like this is a universal principle, but at least as of right now, you don't necessarily have a, a way to ground that belief. Yeah. Cause I mean, what if we find another planet of aliens and we land there and their universal principle, just there's, you know, a little alien Calvin or something his universal <laughs> principle is that he loves to rip people's arms off. That's that's <laughs> the he thinks that everyone should rip each other's arms off. That is the universal and that's just normal to do with this alien society, but that doesn't mean mm -hmm. that it's right here. So then mm -hmm. that would, you know, fall back onto morality being subjective. Morality, you know, meaning that it's it's okay for them to rip each other's arms off on this alien planet, but here that's not okay to do. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, that's helpful. I mean, you know, because 
again, it's like a lot of these conversations are basically like conversations that I'm having with myself in my own head, you know, right? Like, <laughs> right, they're, right. All conver- they're all conversations in theory and not actually talking to somebody who is, you know, a- an atheist or who right. is agnostic. So I always wonder like, yeah, I wonder, I mean, some of these thoughts sound compelling to me, but maybe if I talk to somebody else, they're like, eh, I don't know, whatever. It, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, and so it's interesting to actually hear what you think about these things. But, you know, I mean, okay, so maybe since we're on the topic of those podcasts, and I feel like we've covered, you know, kind of the the meaning, the meaning part and the morality part, mm-hmm. and kind of seeing really what, what your thoughts are on that. And so maybe we can kind of close my half of our interview with, so the first episode, and this was actually in our original interview, we had planned on talking about this, but we just didn't end up having time. But uh, the first episode of the Intro to God series uh, was, you know, sort of the what's known as the cosmological argument or basically the argument of, you know, the first cause of the universe. And and, you know, obviously this is not an argument that's original to me. Nothing I say is original to me. (laughs) I got it from somebody else. (laughs) But um, basically, uh, yeah, the argument is that if we are trying to explain the existence of the universe, from purely a naturalistic point of view. So there's no like supernatural, like outside of the natural order element to the universe that um, you can't get back to the beginning. Like you can't get back to this first cause. And so kind of the progression, and, and you know, actually it would be interesting to me if you would agree with this. So like I kind of laid out this progression of like, if I was talking to somebody who believed that the universe was here purely by a, you know, natural process, no, no outside intervention of any kind. And I kind of laid out, this is probably how they would kind of progress through the creation. Mm -hmm. So let me see if you actually agree with this or if I'm missing some steps. Um, But basically I, I started that kind of thought experiment with, okay, the first question I would probably ask is, you know, where, where did we come from? Like human beings on this planet, where did we come from? And what I proposed somebody would probably say is we're here through the process of evolution, right? That there are lower um, life forms existing on the planet. And over a long period of time, you know, with uh, mutations and natural selection, that if you have a long enough time that you see sort of the diversification of life forms on the planet uh, and, you know, kind of the branching into different species, one of which turned into us. And so, the answer, where did we come from, is uh, the process of evolution. Well, do, do you think that you would probably say say that if I asked you the question? Yeah, it, in super, super short, yeah, I would, I would pretty much agree with that. I don't know if I would agree with the, the lower life forms because I don't think any other life form is any more advanced than the next. Mm-hmm. Um, we all okay. kind of evolved together. So I don't know if I'd agree with the, the lower life form part. But besides <laughs> okay. that, everything else is, is spot on. Okay, I should I should find a a better term. What would be a better it's, term? I know I'm just being simpler, <laughs> simpler life form, maybe. Sure, that works. <laughs> okay, not and as so smart then, light form, life form. Yeah, not, not as intelligent. <laughs> so then, I think the next question that I would ask then is, well, you know, for the process of evolution to occur, you know, it presupposes that there is some sort of living organism, right? And so the next question that I would ask is, well, where did that you know, those initial life forms, you know, the first single-celled organism or whatever, like, where did that come from? And I suppose that the answer to that would probably be, well, you know, 
if we go back in history, um, there was a period where, you know, on the planet Earth, there were certain conditions that were present, right? Certain, you know, chemicals, what's known as the primordial soup, I think. And there's just certain conditions that were present that allowed sort of the first building blocks of life to form, like the first amino acids, which eventually become the first, I don't know what progresses after that, until until you get to like some sort of single-celled organism, which then can go through a process of evolution. And so, you know, maybe the answer would be, yeah, there, there were certain conditions present on the earth and they formed it was just the right conditions and they formed into the first living organisms, which then went through evolution. Would you, do you think you would also kind of agree with that? Yeah, pretty much. You know, once again, you know, I'm no biologist. I don't, you know, have my degree in nothing. So let me just preface that now. So yeah, in layman's terms, I would pretty, pretty much agree with, with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, okay. you know, well-versed enough in biology to, you know, nitpick that at all. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that, me, sound, me that sounded either, so. pretty, pretty all right to me. Okay. And so then, then maybe I should speed up the way that I'm <laughs> explaining this so I can get to sort of your thoughts on it. But, you know, the next question that I would probably then ask is, okay, so then where did the earth come from? And all of that, you know, sort of primordial material that was existing on the planet, like, where did that come from? Right. And, and I think the, the, the point that I'm getting at here is that if we're, if we're trying to explain the existence of the universe and the existence of, you know, you and I from a purely naturalistic point of view, and if we believe that all of these things, you and I, the universe, that, that they all have some sort of beginning, then they're kind of subject to the principle of cause and effect, right? That if, if you have an effect, that there must be some preceding cause that caused whatever that effect is. And so, you know, we are an effect of evolution, but evolution you know, or at least th those first living organisms are an effect of, you know, that material on the planet coming together. But even the, the planet itself and the material that's present on the planet is an effect, right? So what is the cause that preceded that? And so I would suppose that somebody would say, you know, maybe like Big Bang, right? That, you know, we are able to look into the universe and there's evidence that there was an origin to the universe that, you know, at some point in the very, 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 very distant past, you know, all the matter in the universe was like in some sort of super condensed state or something like that, right? And that it exploded out and that, you know, just with enough time over billions and billions of years with, you know, all of the natural laws of chemistry and physics and stuff acting on that matter, that you have the formation of the planets and the galaxies and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, I, I would suppose somebody would say Big Bang. And I, I think you can kind of see where I'm getting at, because then the next question I'm going to ask is, well, where did all of that matter come from, right? All of that matter that was able to explode out and become, you know, what, 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 what Big Bang was, where did that come from? And then if you, if you explain that, then you have to take one more step back. Well, where did that come from? What was the cause that preceded that effect? And so the argument is that from a purely naturalistic point of view, you can't get back to the beginning. Like you can't get to that first cause. And so I, I'm just kind of curious because, again, I've never had a chance to actually talk to somebody mm -hmm. who is an atheist to ask them what their impressions are of that line of thinking. So I'm just kind of curious to hear what you're thinking. Yeah, for sure. Um so as far as like the Kalam goes, so mm -hmm. I, I don't, a lot of theists will typically try to plug in God in there is what I've kind of noticed is that they'll plug in, you know, the universe had a creation or had a creator. Boom, right there. The first premise is wrong. You're presupposing that a God created it. So 
I think that the Kalam cosmological argument, it um, the premises aren't demonstrated well enough, and, and the conclusion really has nothing to do whether there's a god or not. So I don't really mm-hmm. tend to look at the the Kalam very much because it, it just it seems faulty to me. Um, and I, it's you know then you'd be special pleading if you're presupposing that a god exists. And but so the Kalam is another story. I don't know how I feel about the Kalam, but um, and as far as the Big Bang. There's a big common misunderstanding with the Big Bang is that we know for a fact that the Big Bang came from, you know, a singular point, a singularity and expanded. We don't know that for sure. We are no one is is claiming to know that for sure. Um, It could be possible that it's an infinite regress and that it, you know, the expansion goes on for infinity and we would never be able to reach the end of it. And it's just uh, infinitely expanding. Um, Mm. There's always that possibility that can't be ruled out. Um, I was just going to mention that I was just going to mention that the title of this episode was infinite regression. Right. Yeah. So there you go. Um, (laughs) that's funny. Um, perfect. It's like a roll credits, but, um, so we're able to explain how, for the most part, how the planet has come to be, you know, once again, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a geologist or anything like this, but for the most part, there is science that exists that can explain how the planet got its positioning, um, what it's composed of, for the most part, what it's composed of. Um, and, you know, we can even pinpoint where a lot of impact zones from, you know, meteors and asteroids have hit the planet from that helped aid the, the construction of the planet. Um, we're able to explain all of this, but when you look at, like, you know, the, the Bible, for example, it just kind of says that, you know, God you know, was there and he created the earth. And I'm, I'm sitting here with question marks, like how though, you know, how did you do that? You know, why did it take you so long to create all the other planets? But you know, earth took you only a day. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of this, there's science behind it is my thing. You know, I don't, um, yeah, like at least, at least with like science, there's sort of a demonstrable, evidence right. and, and demonstrable right. like you know because oh, that's the thing is that you this know part in a laboratory exactly because you know how i look at it is like when i'm looking at like the bible um and you know the first couple of verses of genesis it says you know ba- essentially god snapped his fingers and the planet and you know plants and animals and stuff were there essentially he snapped his fingers um give or take a couple days and it it just doesn't you know, makes sense. We don't have science or evidence of any sort to suggest that that would even be a possibility. So why would we, you know, entertain it? We're able to demonstrate how, for the most part, how planets are constructed. You know, we still have questions about how even Earth got to where it is today. We're still answering those questions. So, um, you know, I I wouldn't claim and scientists don't claim that we know exactly 100% how our planet got here and how all the planets got there because we're still figuring it out. And that's the thing is that I think people look, um, you know, at Christianity and, you know, they look at God and they say, you know, God created it. Boom. That's it. That's the answer is God created it and that's it. But science is saying, I want to investigate how that was created. And once you start investigating, you realize that so far there's no need for a God, you know, so why are you plugging that God, essentially God of the gaps? You're plugging in the God where you just don't have the answers. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a good point that you made at the beginning there of the of your comments. And and this is actually something that I acknowledged on the podcast as well, where I think it's kind of a misnomer to say that this argument 
proves the existence of God. I think what it proves is that it is very difficult to explain the origins of the universe from a purely naturalistic point of view because of exactly the reason that you can't get back to the beginning. And what I think it suggests, it doesn't prove, but I think that it suggests just from a purely, it's not necessarily a scientific argument, though it's not inconsistent with science. I, I think it's a very philosophical and logical type of argumentation. But I think that what it suggests is that there probably is at least one eternal something, <laughs> some something that in itself does not have to be caused, that needs to exist to explain how you can get that first cause. Because either you have to be able to explain somehow how you can keep going back, 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 back until you get to the point where there was nothing, and then all of a sudden it kind of became something, right, from nothing to something, or it would seem to indicate that there must be something out there, at least one thing in the universe that is uncaused, or maybe the word you would use is eternal. And so I think that's the point where I would say it doesn't prove that that thing is God. <laughs> it, it could right. be something else. Maybe the universe itself is eternal, like kind of like what you're alluding to. Like maybe the right. universe itself exactly. just infinitely regresses and is not itself created or has a beginning. So that's also a possibility right. for sure. Because, I mean, if, if you look at like, you know, for if it's the age old argument, you know, if God created the universe, who created God? It just kind of goes back to that same thing as if there was no universe before there was God, then, you know, where, where was God? You know, oh, he was in heaven. Okay. What was there before there was heaven? You know, where, at what point does God start? You know, so it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you can either substitute it out for the universe or God. Either way, we just don't have the answers. So we shouldn't be so sure about it. Yeah. Though I would push back against that because I think the whole point of the, the Christian perspective is that God is not like us. You know, God is not just a part of the natural order, but that he is a an eternal being, right, who, who created us by his will. And so even though that itself, like, sounds like a completely ridiculous premise, when you look at Kalam's argument or, you know, this, this argument of the first cause, it does seem to suggest that there might be something out there that is itself uncaused and eternal, that could start this process. But and so this is at, where Christians... Sorry, huh? but, but but then you look at, like, you know, where's the evidence for this? The only thing that is claiming that, you know, this God is, you know, all-knowing, all-powerful, you know, is the Bible. And how would you be so sure that it's your God? How are you so sure that it's not Krishna or Allah yeah. or Thor? You know, like, how how are we able to, how do you know some aboriginal tribe in the Amazon doesn't have the right God? And that's the actual creator God. And you've had it wrong yeah. the whole time. Um, so <laughs> yeah. it's like, and so, mm -hmm. yeah, it, at some point, it because then you step back and say, okay, what God? <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and that's something that I made very clear on the, this series of the podcast as well, that I, the way that I framed it is that these are, arguments that might suggest the existence of a God. Like we're, we're not even talking about the God of the Bible or Jesus right. yet. Right. And, and I kind of made that very clear. It's like next season, if there is a next season, <laughs> you know, then, then we're going to talk about, you know, intro to Jesus. Like, how do we know 
if there really is a God, how do we know who that God is or which right. God? And so I, I definitely think, yeah, you're, I agree with you completely that Kalam's argument, if it does suggest the existence possibly of a God, it does not suggest specifically the Christian God. I, I would say that any faith that postulates a creator God who is eternal and uncaused him or herself would be in play, basically, with this line of argumentation. It doesn't prove it, for sure. It, like we said, it could just be that the universe itself is eternal. But I think that it's at least one idea that's in the running based on logic. You know, because you're kind of saying, like, you know, where's the evidence? We don't really have any evidence to look at. And I would say, at least in terms of this argument, the evidence is logic, not necessarily a specimen that you know, you know, like that we can look at, uh, or like some sort of laboratory, um, some sort of laboratory experiment. But in this case, the evidence is the logic and the reasoning. So that that would kind of be where where I feel the evidence is for this particular argument. For me, it's like determining what what exact God we're even talking about. I think that's important also when you're when you're talking about Definitely. how the universe was created, because you probably should know about which God is creating the universe and dictating your life and so on and so forth. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. So, you know, even with the podcast, I was kind of saying like, if I knew that I could only have one conversation with somebody about God, it would not be any of the stuff that I shared right. <laughs> on that intro to God. Like, I feel like that's definitely kind of secondary stuff. Really, my only purpose in sharing those arguments was for the person who thinks the idea of believing in some sort of God is basically the same as believing that Superman exists somewhere in the universe, that it's just completely pure fiction and fantasy. And my only goal for this particular series was maybe to move move the idea that maybe a god exists out of the category of pure fiction and fantasy, mm -hmm. not even worth thinking about, to there are some thoughts that give some credence to the idea that, hey, you know what, maybe this is an idea to take seriously, that it's more than just... Thor, <laughs> right? And so that was really my only goal in, in this particular series. But I think you're right. The more important question, and definitely the next time I interview you, um, and I know that some of the people who are listening to this episode right now are like just dying because like, Jay, why don't you ask Calvin about Jesus? Why don't you talk to him about Jesus <laughs> or the Bible? Why are you wasting your time with these philosophical arguments? And so I know some of them are dying right now, just killing me. It's the me intro. In it's heads. the intro part. You got to get yeah. into it. Yeah, so definitely the next time we we have a conversation, we'll we'll move more specifically into if there is a God, who is he? Is it Jesus? And 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 that'll be the topic for next time. For sure. So I think that's enough of Calvin on the hot seat. I, I mean, I don't think it was really that hot. It, maybe we'll just call it the warm seat. But um we're going to take a break right now and then when we come back, we're going to flip it around. I'm going to turn the reins over to Calvin, and Calvin's going to uh, ask me some questions and get my thoughts on him from the perspective of a Christian. Okay, so we're on the second half of our interview here, and so now I'm going to turn the reins over to Calvin and uh, let Calvin just kind of share any any thoughts or any questions that he wants to ask me about. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think that we can kind of both agree that Christianity is, the basis around it is essentially the Bible. 
I mean, I think we, mm-hmm. we can kind of agree with that, is that, I mean, everything about God really comes down to the Bible. Um, I don't know. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, for the most part, I would agree with that. Yeah, like the basis, I guess. You know, of course, you can have your own interpretation of it. But I mean, I think overall, everything goes back to the Bible. So I just wanted to kind of get like a feeling of like how confident you are in your belief, you know, just because I'm honestly curious. So I like to use this method. It, it's called straight epistemology. I've used it on my podcast before, but I'm kind of weaning off it a little bit now lately. But um, a good question that I always ask to my guests who have claims and, um, you know, they, they have strong beliefs is on a scale from zero to 100%, how confident are you in X? So mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you on a scale from zero to 100%, how confident are you that your God is the real and true one? Yeah. And, and, and Calvin shared with me before the podcast that this was one of the questions he was going to ask. And I was like, man, I'm having a really hard time figuring out how to answer this question. <laughs> uh, so I, first I'll answer the question and then I'm going to give a lot of caveats. <laughs> um, but I, I would say, uh, if you asked me that question, I would say 100% depending on when you ask me. <laughs> okay. And um, the reason why I answer it that way because I was really thinking about why it was hard to answer that question. I mean, I'm a Christian, so I should say 100%, right? <laughs> but I feel like the way that question feels to me is similar to as if you had asked me the question, like, how, what percentage do I trust my wife? <laughs> Which I would say 100%. <laughs> but at the same time, maybe, you know, maybe it, it wavers, maybe it flickers depending on the situation or the day, or, you know, maybe we had a fight or maybe she said something and I'm like, are you bending the truth? Like, you know, like, so I would say for the most part, a hundred percent, but I, so I, I don't want to hijack your question. So if, mm-hmm. if I get you off no, course right. of the, your line of question, please, please bring me back. But I feel like kind of going back to your original premise that the basis of the entire faith is the Bible and I would say I'd, I'd have to tweak that a little bit because I would say the basis of the entire faith is Jesus. And it is true that where we learn the the vast majority of concrete records that we have about Jesus and his teaching and his life is the Bible, but Jesus is not the Bible. Like, or like, you know what I mean? Like my faith is in Jesus. And because I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Bible. Gotcha. If that makes any difference. And so my confidence in the Bible is not necessarily rooted in particular historical artifacts or or scientific discoveries, though those can certainly help. My faith in the Bible is actually rooted in my faith and my relationship with Jesus. And because I trust Jesus 100%, I also trust the Bible 100% because I believe that it comes from him. So, okay. 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 Well, let me ask you this as a follow-up question. Why would you believe Jesus over Muhammad, you know, in uh, the Quran, for example? You know, uh, essentially, if a Muslim and a Christian were to both come up with the same book, you know, Quran mm-hmm. and the Bible, and they say, this is the true infallible word of God, you know, I'm Jesus, I'm Muhammad. Um, how can I tell which one is the right one? And how, how did you determine which one was the right one? Yeah. Well, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, um, you know, I came to faith in Jesus without any knowledge of the Quran, (laughs) you know, so I can't say that I chose between the two or anything like that. Gotcha. The way that I came to faith in Jesus and the Bible is basically my own experience, right? That, 
You know, I started going to church. I started hearing teaching about Jesus, which then caused me to start reading the Bible for myself. And in my experience, and so I'm not saying that this is like some sort of like objectively like un, you know, ironclad argument or something like that. But in my experience, as I read the Bible and learned about Jesus, learned about, you know, his teaching, that it just, I came to the conclusion, I think this is true. I think this is right. I think that his teaching about humanity, that we're, you know, that we were created good, but we've fallen into sin and we're, we're desperately lost. Like, I find that to be true in my observation. Um, and that if there really is a God who is, you know, holy, <laughs> who we have to answer to, we're probably going to be found guilty when we stand before him. Okay, that makes sense to me. And that there's nothing that I can do to somehow plead my own case or justify myself. And that that's why I need some sort of savior, someone to justify for me, or someone to, to justify me, basically, to save me from my sins. And again, I felt found that to be, yeah, I feel that. I feel my sin. It makes sense to me that if there really is a holy God, I'm probably guilty and worthy of punishment. And I need somebody to save me if I don't, if, if, you know, if I want to escape that, that judgment um, and that, and so basically the message of Jesus, like, because God loved us, he sent his son to die on the cross to take that place. I like all of that, just, I agreed with it and it seemed true to me and I wanted it and I needed it. And so I, I accepted it. So there's one part, just, uh, mm -hmm. I heard the message and it rang true to me. Um, I think the other aspect is just feeling like I have experienced, actually experienced Jesus's love, experienced his presence in my life. And then maybe the last piece, sorry, okay, this is not answering your question. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me get more specifically to your question. Why do I believe that over and against, you know, Muhammad and the, the Quran? I mean, I, I haven't read like the Quran cover to cover. I haven't mm -hmm. studied it extensively. I have studied some of it. And... Um, there's nothing that has, there's nothing out of that that has hit me in the same way as being true, has convinced me that somehow this this Jesus who I've read about and who I've experienced is somehow not true, and you know Muhammad is true, and so I, a lot of it is experiential. If I'm being completely honest. Gotcha. So, do you know what it would take to change your mind? Like, what would it take to? Uh change your mind and, you know, come to the conclusion that maybe there isn't a God? Yeah, that's a good question. What would it take to get me <laughs> to believe that it's all basically that it's not I true? mean, if you don't know, you don't know. I'm just honestly curious. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I don't know off the top of my head. So I'm just kind of like running scenarios in my mind. Like, is there anything that could disprove it to me? I suppose if somebody could I think if someone could come out with ironclad proof that Jesus never existed, that he was not a historical person, but okay. purely just a myth, I think that could, I mean, obviously that would be difficult to do. I mean, that's do. fair. I mean, you said that, you <laughs> yeah. know, basically the faith falls back on Jesus. And I mean, if Jesus isn't a real person, then, yeah. uh, you know, so yeah, that's understandable. So, yeah, so if somehow somebody could manage to make a, a ironclad case, hey, man, Jesus never existed, that, that would be probably a deal breaker for me. Okay, that's or fair. Or maybe, maybe on top of that, if somebody could make an ironclad, uh, you know, cannot be disproven case that Jesus really did not rise from the dead, 
which again would be extremely difficult to do. But if somebody could make that case 100%, then that would also be enough to say deal breaker. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's it makes me think because you said basically you were you were kind of indoctrinated into it. Essentially, you know, you were kind of grew up in the church and, you know, picked up the Bible by yourself. Um, you know, for me, as I've said before, I want to know as many true things and as few false things as possible. So, you know, I I have a Quran sitting right here, right next to me. Um, I I'm currently reading the Quran, the Book of Mormon, and I'm reading the Bible for the second time. And to hmm. me, I'm looking at it as they're they're just storybooks. You know, there's nothing compelling, you know, coming forward for me. Um, so I'm just wondering, is there, I don't know, something that did you read something, see something, hear something that said Jesus is, you know, my Lord and Savior, and you know, God is real? Is, is there something that you read, or did you just kind of just kind of get there one day? Yeah, I mean. You know, obviously, like I said, my my understanding of who Jesus is comes from the Bible and kind of, you know, so the content of his teaching comes from the Bible. What convinces me that it is true is that I feel like I have experienced Jesus being alive, <laughs> right? Okay. You know, whether or not you agree with that, I I, right. I feel like I have experienced that he really is alive, that he does still work in our lives that he speaks to us, you know, obviously in different ways than normal human might. And that, um, that makes me believe that what the Bible tells me is true, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And so, um, that at least is what convinces me that Jesus is alive and I believe him to be truly the son of God. Okay. Gotcha. Now, I guess the question would be, why do I believe that these other gods are not real? Well, part of it is, you know, based on the Bible, right? That part of the teaching of the Bible is that there is only one God and that there are many false gods. There are many ideas being floated around of supposed gods, but that ultimately they're not true. And so part of it is, I guess you could say, um, yeah, my my theology, because I have come to have confidence in Jesus and because I believe that the Bible finds its source in Jesus and in, you know, his prophets, his apostles. Do you think that you could mm-hmm. be wrong? I mean, certainly anybody could be wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, anybody could definitely be wrong. So I, I could certainly be wrong, but at least for me, I'm convinced that it is true, that I'm not wrong. And because I believe that, I believe what the Bible teaches about God and about reality, one of which is that there are no other gods. And so that, you know, kind of forms the basis of why I would, even if I've never studied Mormonism, which I've studied a little bit, but even if I had never studied mm-hmm. it, a lick of Mormonism, um, and maybe that's a bad example because they they theoretically believe in the same God as us. Right, right. <laughs> so maybe I should use a different example. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but it you is, know, yep. even if I've never studied Hinduism, I I would still conclude that those gods are not are, are not real because of my belief in Jesus and that the the Bible finds its authority in Jesus. Um, I don't think that it's bad to study it, but um, even if I don't know anything about it, I can conclude that they're not real. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's pretty much for the most part, all I had is for my philosophical type of questions. A lot of the other questions that I have here, are a lot of in-depth Bible questions. So I don't know if you want to dive into those or if you want to stick to the philosophical kind of 
ideas yeah. of God and whether there is one mm-hmm. or not. Because <laughs> if you want, I've got yeah. a couple Bible questions I can ask. So then, I mean, I can't, I can't guarantee that I have any, <laughs> yeah, like, any answers like, to that. Like Bible one question. that I shared with you already um, is: Do you believe that the actions? It kind of falls back on the morality type of thing that we were talking about earlier. Is do you think that the actions of the God of the Bible? both Old Testament and New Testament, I have to make that caveat there, um, both Old Testament and New Testament are justifiably moral actions. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a really good question. Um, and I, I, I definitely understand where that co- question is coming from, because there are definitely some things that we see in the Bible, especially like you said, in the Old Testament, where it can kind of uh, raise an eyebrow, like, mm-hmm. hmm, wow, this is pretty rough, <laughs> right? Right. You know, uh, commanding his people to basically slaughter an entire people group, you know, or things like that, right? So I I definitely understand where this question is coming from. Because essentially the question is, do we feel that God's actions in the Bible are moral? Is that basically what you're asking? Yep, pretty much. And so I'll I'll, I'll answer it in a somewhat theological way, and then maybe we can kind of go from there. For a Christian who believes... And I suppose there are some Christians who maybe have a different perspective about God. Like maybe their their idea of who God is is much more, God never does anything mean. God <laughs> would never hurt anybody. You know what I mean? God is only kindness and rainbows. But I, I would say probably most Bible-believing Christians, in our understanding of what the Bible teaches about God, is that he is the sovereign creator of the universe that he owns everything because he's the source of everything and he has created everything and so it is his prerogative to do with his creation as he will right and so i think for a lot of christians so like let's say if i end somebody's life that's murder right but it's 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 wrong because i have no right to end that person's life. I have no ownership over that person. And so I have no right to end that person's life. That's why it's murder. If God decides you no longer get to live, in our view, that's not murder because he is the owner of all life and it is his prerogative to give it or to take it away. And so, you know, that has the first sort of, sorry if this is a long-winded answer, but You're good. the first foundation we would say is that it's God's prerogative whether or not he wants to allow you to live or he's going to take your life. Um, and so like, if God says to Israel and it says, Hey, these Canaanites, I've given them 700 years to turn from their evil ways, but they haven't. And so now I've decided that I'm going to judge them through you and you're going to take possession of that land. We would not, that would not be considered murder or genocide or whatever you want to call it because God has the prerogative to do that. Um, and so so even if we see something like that in the Old Testament, we would not consider that to be immoral because God has the right and the authority to do that. If I were to do that, like if I was the leader of a country and I said, go in, dispossess these people, kill them all, and then we're going to take their land, I would say that is immoral because I don't have that right. Gotcha. So that's what I would ask you is, so... Wouldn't it be the same thing if I had a child and because I gave birth to that child, I feed this child, I give this child housing, I give it love, I give it electricity, heat, a bed. Because I give it all these things, 
I, I'm allowed to kill it. I'm allowed to kill my child. Um, or if I have a dog, I give my dog food and treats and love and pets and take him to the vet when he's sick. But I, I mean, I take care of him. He's mine. So I choose when he dies. Mm -hmm. um, wouldn't that essentially be the same thing? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a good question. Like, just because I am the owner of some living thing, do I have the right to just snuff them out? <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I guess in your examples, it's hard to say. I mean, I guess we could conclude, even in your examples, I guess we could conclude yes, but it feels immoral. <laughs> it still yeah. feels wrong, even though I own that dog. Like for me to just be like, eh, I don't want any more. Let's right. just put him to sleep. It, it right, feels but it wrong. seems like the God of the Bible doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily have a hard time doing that either. You know, and yeah. my thing is that I think that, you know, God is kind of held to a double standard. In, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's kind of a double standard going on. You know, it's it's okay if God kills my kid, but if I kill my kid that I actually carried for nine months and, you know, damaged my body for you know the rest of my life. You know, but if I kill it, I get in trouble. You know, it's it's just kind of yeah. You know. I mean, it, it it's true, and I, I won't claim to fully be able to like explain it away. So yeah. I don't think I'll be able to do that. Um, I mean, I think that there are some cases, like maybe if I tweaked the analogy a little bit, like you know, maybe some, you know, sometimes there's cases where you know a loved one, like our child, or maybe our a parent, when they get elderly and they get really ill, and they're Basically, you know, you, you know, there, there are some times when people have to make decisions about whether or not to kind of carry on life or not, mm -hmm. whether or not, or, or if at some point it's, you know, it's actually better to, to let them, you know, pass away. So, I mean, that's a little bit of a different tweak on, on kind of the perspective of, you know, do we have the right to give or end life? Right, um, right. But yeah, I mean, I guess I would say another thing that maybe I would say you know, the, the, the piece that we haven't talked about, maybe I alluded to it, but we haven't really talked about is, you know, the, the story that is being conveyed about humanity in the Bible is that we're not innocent bystanders, right? That one of the major themes of the story of humanity is that we are desperately wicked, that we're desperately, you know, broken, and that there's something broken in us that keeps tending us towards violence and injustice and oppression and just all kinds of evils. And it's like this kind of, it's like this virus almost that uh, we can't seem to snuff it out. You know, no matter how much human culture progresses, no, no matter how much we progress scientifically or technologically um, or how, how educated we become, that virus just always seems to be with us and we cannot seem to grow out of it as a species. And so, you know, one of the major themes of the Bible is the fact that what is God going to do about this problem of sin, but that, um, you know, he loves us and he wants to redeem us and, and, and help us find a way to escape that judgment, but that eventually judgment has to fall because if it doesn't, then that means suffering and pain, injustice, abuse go on forever. And so I, I would say that maybe that doesn't answer your question, but I would say that's a piece that maybe we have to include in this conversation that we're not innocent bystanders. And like any people that you see God 
you know, commanding to be destroyed or, or whatever in the Old Testament that they were not in, innocent bystanders either. Okay. Yeah, I got, I got you. I mean, I would kind of push back that, I mean, essentially we are, you know, innocent bystanders. Because, like, for, for me myself, you know, if I'm wicked, I was born wicked or, you know, sinful or whatever, you know, I've never done anything wrong nothing crazy wrong you know nothing you know worthy of being damned you know for all of eternity nothing you know no finite crime deserves an, an infinite punishment in hell um mm-hmm. and you know that's kind of where i get back to where i i think that there's kind of this double standard of you know god you know it's okay if god punishes me for all of eternity for being born and not you know repenting or whatever um yeah, it, it just kind of seems like a double standard to me. It kind of seems like, you know, worship me or else, you know, it, it's kind of from the standpoint of like, if a, you know, a robber comes up to me as I'm walking out of the movie theater and says, get down on your knees and worship me or burn in hell forever. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. kind of what I get from the Bible. You know, it's Jesus pointing the finger saying, get on your knees and worship me or else burn in hell forever. By the way, I love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It, it's just it a little feel loving. Yeah, exactly. It kind of, you know, makes me say, whew, you know, this guy kind of personally sounds like a psychopath in my <laughs> personal opinion. But uh-huh. um, yeah, it yeah, just kind of, and, it know, kind of feels like there's some sort of double standard for, for God. Like he's allowed to do whatever he wants because he put us here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I would say I, I'm probably not doing a very good job of representing kind of like a, a full holistic, uh, you know, picture of, of God and the, the good news, because, yeah, maybe it doesn't really sound like good news. So, you know, hopefully we can have more conversations where we can kind of fill, yeah, out, some of these, fill out some of these details. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I think since since you, you brought it up, I want to at least make at least a little bit of a comment before we end this interview. But yeah, because, yeah, you know, I mean. That's also a, a whole nother conversation that we probably could have at some point, you know, this, this, this topic of, of hell or eternal judgment and, you know, what does that really mean? Who gets it? Do they really deserve it? And, you know, I would say that there is a diversity. This is another thing that some of my listeners are going to kill me on. So I apologize. <laughs> but, but I will say there's a diversity of understandings and interpretations of what the Bible teaches about judgment, right? Um, You know, what aspects of it are literal, what aspects of it are figurative, right? So for instance, like in the Bible, you have imageries of some sort of judgment that is like fire, but you also have images of eternal darkness, which they don't really fire darkness, you know, they don't really seem consistent, right? So, um, there's probably some figurative language in there, but I think the overriding aspects that we get from the Bible about what hell is and why someone goes there is that ultimately it's a separation from God, right? It's a separation from God and his people. And it, and in some sense, I think it, it would be accurate to say that the, the source of why we would be sent out of God's presence is our own free will. And ultimately, why someone goes there is their own choice, right? I think that you get that sense from scripture that it's ultimately, it's kind of a a giving over to one's choice, right? That I've lived my entire life basically denying him and not wanting him and rejecting him. 
And so really the picture that you get of judgment is not just God's going to, you know, throw you into some sort of a punishment, but it's like giving your giving you over to what you've chosen and allowing you, if you don't want this, then I'm going to allow you to go out and you won't be able to come into this presence again. Gotcha. And, um, and it's very possible that the suffering, you know, that even though there's different imagery that's being used, that maybe the, the, the imagery is figurative, but that doesn't make it any less true that it's a horrible thing that you don't want to happen to you. Gotcha. Right? To this, this being cut off from God eternally. That... So do you think that we choose what we believe? Because like for, you know, like I said, I've read the Bible once and I'm currently reading it again. Um, I'm, I'm in Leviticus right now, almost end of Le- Leviticus. And I still don't feel, you know, any connection to God or connection to Jesus. I've never personally had any experiences with Jesus at least that I know of that, you know, if he has had experiences with me, he didn't make it clear enough that it was him for me to Mm -hmm. assume. Um, So, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just confusing to me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, in in one sense, I would say absolutely. It's a choice, right? Like nobody's, nobody's twisting your arm to believe or not believe. But I think what I hear you saying is in some sense, you feel like you don't have a choice because God has not shown himself to you in any way. Yeah. I feel like you're either so how could you choose of something or you're not, you know, like I read mm-hmm. the Bible and by the end of it, I wasn't convinced of it. I wasn't convinced that any of this was true or, well, I mean, to be fair, there are a couple things in the Bible that are, you know, true events, true, real people are in the Bible. Yeah. Um, but the overall premise i guess of the bible of their their being an all-knowing all-powerful god um i didn't see a reason to believe that by the end of the bible so why why should i be punished for quote rejecting god when when i was searching for god and he hasn't made himself apparent if he is there um still to this day searching for some sort of god i mean i'm I'm into three different religious texts now. And so far they're all rubbing me the same way. There's no reason to believe them any more true than the next one. Um, any more true than Harry Potter. So, um, yeah. I mean, and honestly, after our first interview, I mean, that's the, that's the question that I've been wrestling with too. You know, it's like, why hasn't Calvin seen anything? You know, I mean, it certainly feels like, I mean, not to to pursuing, like I've seen like figures or whatever, you know, I've had weird dreams and weird, like, you know, experiences and, you know, I haven't done psychedelics or anything like that, but, you know, (laughs) I've dabbled in, you know, marijuana and stuff, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, nothing like that makes me say that was Jesus Christ, you know, of, you know, that was baptism specifically, you know, it's like, it's Mm -hmm. very odd to me. It's like, you know, religious people will experience the, the God that, they want to experience. So, you know, Muslim people have Muslim near-death experiences. Christian people have Christian yeah. near-death experiences. Um, very rare occasions does it happen the other way around. So, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. I, I will say, so I don't know the answer to your question. I, I'm searching for that answer myself. And I'm sure that me and other Christians who are listening to this podcast are, are praying <laughs> and asking God to reveal himself to you. I, the only thing that I'll say, and I don't want 
Please forgive me if it comes off as me somehow making it sound like you're doing something to make God not apparent. But I mean, I guess the only thing that I could say is maybe what you are looking for when you read the Bible is seems like evidence. I mean, I guess that we're why wouldn't you look for evidence? But you're kind of like, what is, is there any verifiable evidence here that will prove to me that there is this all powerful, all knowing, all loving God. And maybe if I was going to tweak your lens a little bit, I would say, maybe try to read it from the perspective of what is this telling me about God? And what is this telling me about myself and humanity? Like, what is the story? And do I find that story to be true or not? compelling or not, you know, not just the facts of it, but like, even if you, another thing that I'll get killed by, by people who are listening to this, let's just say you decided to read the Bible completely as a allegory. Okay. So I'll just throw the historicity out the window. I'm not saying that I just, you know, as a disclaimer, I'm not saying it's an allegory. I believe the Bible to be (laughs) true fact. Okay. Anybody who's listening to this, but let's just say that you kind of threw it out mostly as just allegory, except for Jesus. Jesus is a real person. Uh, and you just read it to kind of find out what is this story, what is this allegory trying to convey to me about who God is, who I am, and what God is trying to do in my life or in, in humanity. Um, I think you would come out with different different things, right? You, you would come out with a story about a God who created us in love. You would also come out with a story about a humanity that is just dark <laughs> and broken. Yeah. and And we keep running into... Uh, keep running into this thing called sin, um, but also a God who who probably should condemn us and basically just exterminate us because, you know, we keep doing such horrible, horrible things to one another, but a God who loves us enough that he found a way to redeem us through the person of Jesus Christ, right? And I think the also the other thing that you would see, I don't want to spoil, <laughs> you've already read it, so it's not a spoiler, <laughs> but I think the also the other thing that you would see, which distinguishes it, maybe this goes back to your earlier question, what, what distinguishes it from other stories about gods or God is that most other religious stories are stories about how people have to do something to earn the favor of God. Well, we have to prove ourselves worthy or do something that makes us good enough or worthy enough to be accepted by a God. Most religions have that kind of story. Uh, I would say that the Christian story, the story of the Bible, is completely flipped around, which you have a story of a God who tried to prove himself worthy to us, right? That he he tried to prove to us that he loves us and that he wants to redeem us, right? So it's it's kind of a little bit different. It, it's flipped on its head. And so I don't know if that will be helpful or not, but I, I just maybe if you could tweak your lens a little bit as you read through the Bible the second yeah. time. So like what I wanted to show you is I actually have my Bible sitting right here and I actually have some some note tabs going in the mm-hmm. side of it here um, through, through Levit- Leviticus so far. And the tabs that I have labeled on here are um, I have claims of flat earth key verses so stuff that i just you know want to remember that are important verses that i just like to remember i have bad science tabbed um genocide and infanticide i have rape incest sacrifice murder and slavery those are all what i have tapped so far and like i said i'm in leviticus and uh you could see um i've already used one whole sheet of these little tabs and there's like 200 of them in 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 a sheet um Mm -hmm. so even just going back to like god not needing anything for from us um first thing that comes to mind is the story of cain and abel where cain and abel have to 
sacrifice, you know, they have their sacrifices to God and God favors Abel's gift over Cain. So um, right there, it's, you know, us having to offer ourselves to God. And I mean, um, I have dozens, if not hundreds of verses tabbed here that show sacrifice, everything from blood sacrifice to, um, to just, you know, plants and uh, manna, you know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. um, so God definitely, at least in the old Testament, um, definitely required some sort of thing saying that, yep, you're the only God for me. We, we worship you. We have to essentially earn his love because if we didn't do these sacrifices, then, you know, he wasn't so nice. Yeah, we might have to save that for the the next conversation that we have. Um, but maybe in the meantime, since you are reading through the Bible again, you know, when it comes to um, sacrifice, uh, I would encourage you to um, read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, which gives you a pretty clear interpretation of what the the purpose of the sacrificial system is and what its ultimate meaning is. So maybe we can save that. Yeah, maybe that could be uh, the next conversation or maybe it'll be, be something else. But uh, yeah, Calvin, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate you being willing to, you know, just kind of have these conversations with me and doing it in a way that is kind and in a way that I think is, is really uh, engaging and fruitful. And I, I not only is it beneficial to me, but I think a lot of the people who are listening also really appreciate being able to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, for sure. I always love being on here. And I mean, I haven't had to really have any conversations with any, you know, Christians, let alone on their podcasts. So, I mean, I really enjoy this conversation. Most of the conversations I do have with people, some, you know, usually turn into a debate. Someone ends up getting defensive or something, but I'm glad that we don't have that going on here. I'm, I'm enjoying the conversations. All right, so there it is. I want to thank again my guest, Calvin Smith. You can catch him on his podcast, Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. Really enjoy talking to you as always, and I hope that I can have you on the podcast again. Now, as we wrap this up, I just wanted to share a few closing thoughts, and I'm not going to rehash the points of the interview. But, you know, one thing I did want to share with you guys is that, you know, if I'm being honest, I don't think I really answered some of Calvin's questions that well. That as I listened back over the interview, some of the ways that I answered some of his questions, I was just kind of cringing to myself like, oh, why did I answer the question like that? Or why didn't I say this or that? And so, you know, honestly, yeah, I, I, I think I could have answered some of his questions better. And I guess I just wanted to encourage you guys that when you have an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody about God, about Jesus and the gospel, that it's okay if you don't always have the perfect answer so that you're not always able to answer on the spot exactly the way that you would want to. Like, don't torture yourself over it. Could I have answered some of those questions better? Definitely. But does that mean that the conversation didn't have value? No, absolutely not. I think it was still a great conversation because we talked about Jesus. We talked about things that mattered and we were able to talk about it in a way that was respectful. And so even though I could have answered some of the questions much better, and I'm sure if you ask Calvin, he would probably say the same thing about some of his answers, that he feels like he probably could have gave some better answers than he was able to. But I I think we would both agree that there was still a lot of value to the conversation. And and the last thing I want to say, though it's obvious, I I still feel like it kind of needs to be said. 
The truth of Jesus and the gospel is not dependent on how well or how persuasively you and I can explain it to someone. Meaning that even if I do a terrible job <laughs> explaining Jesus or do a terrible job trying to persuade somebody about the truth of the gospel, doesn't make it any less true. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not dependent on how well or how persuasively I can explain it to someone. And it is not up to you and me to somehow convert somebody with how well we can answer their questions. That is God's job. And so I just want to make sure that we are free of that burden, that it's not up to us to persuade people into the kingdom. Really, the only thing that is up to us is to be faithful, to be faithful to share with the people around us and to love them and to treat them in a way that is worthy of the gospel. That is our responsibility. Now, of course, could we become better at explaining things? Could we become better at answering people's questions? Sure, of course. But that really is just a matter of communication. It doesn't make the gospel any more or any less true. And so I hope that you will be free of that burden and that fear, and that you will faithfully enter into the conversations and into those opportunities that he gives you. All right, so that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening as always, and I will catch you guys next week. The closing song for this episode, Unbelief is by Rochelle Luke. For more music from Rochelle Luke, you'll find a link in the episode description. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share this episode with a friend or on social media. If you'd like to connect with Pastor Jay, you can visit dailysabbath.com or our Instagram account at dailysabbath.
keep stumbling down the sidewalk beside the streets of gold and I won't keep racing round in circles as if your word was 